You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 67. Today's reading is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Beloved, first of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their licentiousness, and because of them the way of truth will be reviled. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. From of old their condemnation has not been idle, and their destruction has not been asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction and made them an example to those who were to be ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the wicked, for by what that righteous man saw and heard as he lived among them, he was vexed in his righteous soul day after day with their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Early in today's reading, St. Peter writes concerning false prophets, false teachers, and heresies. And this, of course, was cause for concern in the early church, and it certainly is today as well. But how do we identify these false teachings and heresies and so forth? And, and what, if anything, Father, should we do when we encounter them? Really good question, Jason, and, and one that I th- believe is important, but it's also one where I think we need to sort of reframe our thinking or retrain ourselves. Okay. So how should we uh, reframe our thinking here, Father? We're so programmed today to think of false teachings and heresies in terms of church dogma. So in other words, when we think about heresies or false teachings, we're likely to think about the Arian heresy and the Nicene Creed or the Fourth Ecumenical Council and the dual natures of Christ or even more recent issues like the divisions between Orthodox, Roman Catholics, and Protestants. And we might even think in more extreme terms about false teachings or heresies of, you know, say, the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or false teachings of our secular culture. And certainly I'm not trying to demean the Nicene Creed or to say that we shouldn't carefully consider differences between denominations or dangerous teachings of other churches. But when that is our primary focus, then I think we lose track of what St. Peter is saying in his epistle. We're viewing his words through a different prism. Interesting. Could you explain uh, what you mean about what you call a different prism? Uh, What is it that you think we're missing if we view the notion of heresies and false teachings uh, just through the lens of ecumenical councils and, and differing denominations? Well, there are really two things that I think we're missing, and both of them are absolutely critical to properly understanding and thus living out the scriptural teaching. And what are those two things? The first thing I would say is that we need to view Peter's teaching through looking at ourselves and our own church community. Now, obviously, we can say that there are 
differences, important differences between us and, again, as an example, the Mormons. And that's fine, but that that really should be of minor secondary interest to us. The primary thing that we need to do is to be self-critical. And we can talk about that more in a minute if you want. But the second thing I would say, in addition to being self-critical, is that we need to bring into focus that Peter's concern about false teachings and heresies didn't relate to the nature of Christ or the doctrine of the Trinity or any of these things that were dealt with at ecumenical councils. Peter's concern gets to the very root of Scripture and the teaching and understanding that we have to completely lay aside any hope for salvation being found in our own righteousness, and we must fully put our trust in God and His Messiah, Jesus Christ. And again, I'm happy to speak about that more if you wish. Yes. Yes, I think it'd be great to dive in a little deeper on both of these points, actually. So uh, let's take them one at a time. Let's start with your first point, that instead of primarily differentiating ourselves from other churches or denominations, or even the broader culture, that we need to be more self-critical. Yeah, this idea of being self-critical gets to the core, the very core of Scripture, and what Scripture is doing. And I love how Father Paul Tarazi frames this. He says, I cannot prove to you that Scripture is divine, but I can prove to you that it's not human. Well, I'm sure, as, as with many of Father Paul's sayings, uh, there's some deeper meaning here. So <laughs> what does he mean by that? What he's getting at is that a person cannot prove, in a, in a scientific sense, uh, that Scripture is divine. But what we can prove in sort of a scientific way is that Scripture stands alone, at least to my knowledge, as a book that is written as a nation's or a people's founding story, but yet is systematically critical of that people. I, I think the little more explanation would be helpful here if you would, Father. Certainly. So if you look at any nation, there are basic stories about that group or that people's foundation. There are myths, narratives. And when I say myths, I don't mean in the way that we often think about them as as purely made-up stories. I mean that there are stories that pass from generation to generation that have deep meaning to that culture because it speaks of who they are and who they seek to be. So if you look historically, for example, you have the Iliad and the Odyssey, These are myths, narratives about a group of people and how they were heroically founded. Uh, Take the United States. We, We have many myths, many stories about our nation's founding, and these stories all paint the founders as heroes. They portray the founding of the nation as something that happened because of mighty men who we then as a nation or a culture idolize. They give the narrative that the gods or the one and only God are on your side. And that's why people understandably get uncomfortable then when you start criticizing these heroes, these founders. We want to think about the good things. We want to aspire to be like them in their virtues and just simply ignore their vices. It can be as though pointing out those vices then is an affront to us, a criticism of us. And so how is the Bible different? Well, again, to my knowledge, outside the Bible, every other foundation narrative follows the basic themes that I just outlined. But the Bible is different because the Bible is constantly, constantly critical of Israel, but even more specifically, we could say, of Israel's leadership, the people that were in powerful positions, the people who normally, if the Bible were following the usual foundation narratives, would be glorified as the heroes. And so, in the end, these people, who you think should be the heroes, actually end up looking quite bad. And the only one left looking good is God in the Old Testament 
and God and Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Everyone else essentially is problematic with few exceptions. Uh, Could you maybe give us a few examples to highlight your point? Sure. Take, for example, Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. So all of Israel is named after him. And his name, Jacob, means usurper. In other words, someone who steals. And so Israel's founder is a usurper, a thief. You have the story of the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, the brothers of Joseph, who sell Joseph into slavery. One of the worst sins, according to the Mosaic law, is to sell a brother into slavery. And yet here they are committing that sin. And God then, through the one sold into slavery, through Joseph, ends up saving these heads of the tribe. So that's their story. They, they don't look good at all. They were the villains. The only ones who look good are God, and in, in this case, Joseph. And notice how no tribe then gets to receive the name of Joseph, but they're instead broken into the half-tribes and given others' names. So the Bible is doing completely the opposite of what all these other foundation myths and narratives do. They are painting your founders in the worst possible light. And the prophets, they come to preach repentance to Israel. Why? Because Israel has sinned. So the message from the prophets is always essentially the same thing. How can you look around and judge the nations when you do the same thing? And you even have this special relationship and this law of God. So how can that be? So ultimately, the Bible is self-critical. It's telling its audience to look at itself. And so what I'm saying is that we have to look for the false prophets and the false teaching from within. We tend to look outside us, but Peter and the rest of the Bible is saying, beware of the false teachers within your own gates. So that gets back to my original question, Father. How do we recognize uh, them? How do we know that they're false? Yeah, that's actually a great segue because your question leads to my second point that I made earlier, specifically that when we're looking for what Peter classifies as false teachings or heresies, we're not so much looking at someone who contradicts church dogma as defined by the councils, but we can spot false teaching because the false teaching in one way or another teaches you that salvation can come through your own righteousness, through your own works. And that is Peter's primary concern as it relates to him specifying the false teaching, as you can see from the passage itself. Oh, Father, I don't doubt you when you say that you can see from the passage itself, but I'm not sure it's really clear to me. So would you clarify (laughs) that? Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up because it's probably not easily seen by the average person. So let me point out here the the quote from St. Peter again. He, He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And so this last phrase about the master who bought them is key. The Greek word is agorazo, which means to buy something in a marketplace. It's the same word that Paul uses actually in in 1 Corinthians 6.20 when he says we were bought at a price. And it connects to Paul's arguments in Galatians and in Romans that we were freed from the slavery of sin to be slaves unto God through Christ. As I've stressed before, in biblical terms, we're never free in the abstract sense. We're freed from being slaves to sin so that we may become slaves to Christ. We were purchased by Christ through his suffering, through his crucifixion and death, to be enslaved to his law of mercy and compassion. 
And then sticking with Paul in Galatians and, and also Romans, he argues that the problem in early Christian community, even the problem with Peter, James, and John before they repented, was that there was this push, this desire, this draw to go back to the Mosaic law, or at least even to certain parts of the Mosaic law, like circumcision. And Paul argues persuasively that to go back to that in any way is to make Christ's death be in vain. It would be to nullify that purchase price with which he bought us, because it would go back to relying on our own righteousness, our self-righteousness, which is the root of all problems in the Bible. So this is the primary way we identify false teaching, and as I said, hopefully now you can understand this is clearly, clearly what St. Peter is referring to in this epistle. We can identify false teaching because in one way or another, it will always be about obtaining salvation through our own righteousness by our own works. And that is absolutely destructive and contra-biblical. It's the root of all falsity and heresy. There's no place for it in leading an authentic Christian life. So to summarize, we recognize false teaching primarily by two ways. First, the teaching encourages us to look outside, to judge others, to worry about what others are doing, whereas the true teaching... The biblical teaching calls us to be critical of ourselves and to stop judging our neighbor. And then number two, we recognize false teaching by the fact that it will always encourage us in one form or another to rely on our own righteousness versus putting our trust in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, Father. In discussing what St. Peter references in today's reading as false prophets, teachers, and heresies, Father Aaron explained that we so often focus on issues of church dogma rather than looking inward and the need to be self-critical. In addition, St. Peter urges us to focus on the very root of Scripture, to completely lay aside the hope for our salvation being found in our own righteousness and to fully put our trust in God. Unlike other narratives in history that raise up and glorify its characters, the Bible offers a constant criticism of Israel and its leadership. This is the complete opposite of what we see in all other foundation narratives. Here we see that the Bible is self-critical and the teaching is clear, to look inwardly at oneself rather than judging others. Finally, false teaching can be identified by its focus on obtaining salvation through our own self-righteousness. This is the root of all false teaching and heresy and has no place in leading an authentic Christian life. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.